Hey, Rebecca Tefredis here. Thank you for joining us in Shoutcaster Limited. As founder and owner of Shoutcaster Limited, I am thrilled to have you here and listening. The story is that I'm an event organizer and hospitality subject matter expert, yet it was my master's thesis in esport that led me here, exploring the gaming and esport world. This episode, we're excited to sit down with gaming expert Justin Varghese, formerly of DreamHack and now business development manager of the new esports startup Shoutcall. Enjoy as Justin takes us through the 2020 and 2021 esport marketing event space as he sees it. Hey there, it's Rebecca DeFeas from Shoutcaster Unlimited. And who we have here today is the Justin Varghese. So happy to have you here, Justin. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Uh, it's it's definitely a, a treat to jump on, uh, especially after you and John Davidson said such nice things about me on a previous podcast, you know? <laughs> I was hoping you found that. I'm like, maybe I'll just sneak it in there as a little nugget, like a little Hansel and Gretel bread trail to lead him back. It worked. So, it worked. I'm oh, hoping God. that you're not planning on just just cooking me up in a in a giant <laughs> witch's cauldron. If that was the Shoot. case, this was not the right podcast to sign up for. But what did I expect jumping on in October? <laughs> I know. Now my <laughs> Halloween plans have been revealed. Darn it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for being here, Justin. And, and you know, l- like we said, um, I was an attendee at the Esport Trade Association panel. Um, er, uh, later last month, and I, I was sitting on a panel, Justin, and just hearing your um, forecasting model of esports and the event and the event marketing industry was something that I, I found astounding, and I wanted to have you on there from day one, and you graciously graciously accepted. So, what we're kind of hoping to walk through is you um, your transition from DreamHack now to Shot Call, and you know what where you are in the esports space now, and you know, can you break that down for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I could get into a long tangent about my whole time in esports, uh, um, starting off as a as a player, moving on to a play by play commentator. But I think what your audience is probably most concerned with is my role at DreamHack initially, and now what I'm doing at Shotcall. Um, I spent almost two years at DreamHack, uh, serving as the marketing manager for North America. My role was really around building our brand notoriety on the Western Hemisphere. Um, and growing at a regional level through uh, various activations and whatnot, um, all targeted around our three mainstay shows stateside. So that would be DreamHack Dallas, DreamHack Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. and DreamHack Anaheim, mm-hmm. respectively. Um, mm-hmm. Then when COVID hit, obviously, there had to be a, a, a big shift, as you can imagine, uh, working in the event space was. And, and from there, a lot of my role was really around trying to figure out what DreamHack's presence would look like from a digital perspective, which really uh, pushed into a, a larger core vision that I and a lot of other folks on the team had, which was condensed into DreamHack 365. Uh, mm-hmm. A way where fans would would be fans for and engage with the brand, not just for a weekend, but really right. trying to make it so that we can engage and connect with our fans on a year long worldwide basis rather than a weekend long regional basis. Um, so that was what a lot of that role was. Um, recently, um, I actually made a, a shift in my career. Um, I've got nothing but love for all the folks at DreamHack still, uh, but. Very happy to have joined the team over at Shot Call. Um, for folks who may be unfamiliar, Shot Call is a really promising startup. Um, it's all about uh, essentially connecting fans 
and allowing them to play with their favorite streamers, their favorite content creators, their favorite uh, athletes, their favorite celebrities, etc. Right. Right. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And that, and that plays so well, Rebecca, into kind of what I've always been about, which is really trying to focus in on how gaming can be such a massive conduit for human connection. And mm. shot call aligned just really well with those core values. So yeah, it's been uh, yeah. it's been fun. I'm serving as their business development manager, uh, just mm-hmm. trying to uh, educate some of the brands that are in this space or they're looking to get into the space for the first time in regards to what our platform does, and mm-hmm. essentially trying to figure out ways where we can leverage the platform itself as a conduit for deeper level integrations and impressions rather than right. strictly with based impressions is what I would call them. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I think it would be interesting to for you to kind of walk through our listeners as you transition from the event organizer wearing that hat at DreamHack <laughs> now to a business development manager of, of really deep human capital relationships between monetizing influencer roles right. and just general passion lovers like myself who are streamers. So, you know, where where is that transition happening this summer and you know what was your favorite part about that it sounds like you've really aligned to kind of shop call startup mission there and you know what what kind of gets you up every day over there now no i mean i mean as crazy as it sounds i feel like what i'm doing now really isn't all that different from what i was doing back then and i know that sounds really weird Mm -hmm. right um Don't get me wrong. A, a lot of this work definitely does feel a little bit more influencer oriented, um, especially at a micro level and things like that from a traditional mm-hmm. sense. But mm-hmm. for me, whenever I was in the event space, right, um, I would do traditional influencer campaigns and things like that. Right. And they'd be successful. But what I identified pretty quickly was, you know, maybe the way that we look at even the term influencer is very different from the actuality. Right. Um, I've worked with uh, I love that. some large influencers who have massive numbers behind them, you know, getting insane amounts of impressions. Um, and again, I've had success with those campaigns, but you'd be really surprised at some of the influencers who don't even call themselves influencers and how well they can do, right? Local right. tournament organizers, for instance, right? Uh, they may just have, be folks who organize tournaments on a weekly basis all around just one game. But if you're able to have honest conversations with these people, figure out what their needs are and how we as an event can put on a better event for them and their community, Mm. a switch happens and they go from being uh, a passive attendee to an active evangelizer. And that in turn brings their entire community on to our festival. And right. even even with what I'm doing now with Shot Call, right? It it is a similar mindset for me, right? Um, we have a totally separate team that's that's really focused around trying to get the individual influencer and things like that. My conversations tend to align more with uh, some of the bigger picture connections, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the teams that are out there, colleges, universities, etc. And again, that is a lot of what I was doing before. Uh, don't get me wrong; uh, I think that. The one nice perk is maybe there isn't as much of a of a you know crunch, especially as we're getting super close to a specific event time. Now I think there's more mini Fair. crunches as we're getting closer to some of these little activations that we're doing online yeah. uh, with partners like Gamers Vote and things like that. Yeah, um, but 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 it's 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 been really really great, honestly. Um, I wouldn't say it was a thing where 
I had to realign a little bit in regards to where I was going with my career to fit the shot call vision. It was more so a thing where these are concepts um, that honestly have been embedded within me for a long time, right? Mm. In, In particular around gaming as a conduit for deep human connection. And right. seeing that Shot Call had that, um, as well as a lot of long-term prospects in regards to their vision for the platform that aligned a lot with my thoughts on uh, the influencer economy as a whole, as well as uh, a lot of untapped potential within that said economy, uh, it was just a very easy decision uh, to, to go ahead and uh, join the team full-time. So I, I think if we could just round back real quick, you know, the conduit for human connection. Number one. Mm-hmm. And then also gamers vote. Number two. I can't help but the Twitch explosion of a congresswoman <laughs> playing among us. Yeah. That brought the Twitch world to its knees. And to be honest, I, I'm I'm Washington DC based. Um right. it brought Twitch to a platform that, you know, what one considered the stodgy bars of Capitol Hill and Georgetown all of a sudden were um awoken to Twitch's uh realness for lack of a better term so i'd be interested to hear you know is this a partnership that we're gonna be expecting from you know not just influencers but political influencers as well no need to get into politics or either side just to you know as a caveat but just that relationship between gamers who vote and the conduit for human connection you know where do you see that going forward yeah um so there's obviously a lot of thoughts there um, I think that, uh, as, as my, uh, my good friend, Eric Griffin over at the Dallas Chamber of Commerce pointed out, uh, you know, maybe one of the last things we need is, is, is more, uh, uh politicians embracing the personality of entertainers outright, you know? Fair, fair. Um, I do know. <laughs> I, I, I would love a, a lot, a lot of, I mean, uh, you know. I'll 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 bring back my words a little bit, but I would love some more policy and substance out of our politicians long term. Right? Yeah. Um, yep. But Agreed. regarding the implications of this activation in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Of AOC playing among us with some of the biggest content creators in the yep. gaming space on the planet, that is absolutely monumental in my mind. Right. Yes. Um, when, when you look at voting demographics as a whole, um, it's no secret that probably the most undercapitalized demo is 18 to 32. And that's yep. the demo that gaming captures perfectly. Right. Um, there's a lot of ways you can approach, I think, the gaming space. But I think what was so refreshing to me as somebody who was just watching that stream was that it felt like a very honest integration. It wasn't a thing to me where, um, you know, it was somebody that, that, you know, had these talking points ahead of time and things like that. And she had to sit down with every single streamer beforehand and go through these (laughs) talking points and everything like that. It just felt like a politician hanging out with some new friends over a game that they all loved. And I think that that, sort of natural chemistry that kind of came abroad with all those individuals together in the room um along with just like the the, this normal like conversational feel that it had made it feel very welcoming and that welcoming element is what made it so that this was such a successful get out the vote campaign in my mind one of the most successful get out the vote campaigns of all time 
mm-hmm. was because of the fact that they were able to tap into such a critical demographic and they did it in a way that was truly authentic, mm-hmm. really yeah. was truly authentic. And and that authenticity is one thing that um, gamers really can spot immediately. Right. Um, I think right. I think John was I was chatting with John Davidson the other day and he said that like, gamers have such a high BS meter. Right. Yes, they do. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Me. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can you can see anytime a brand tries to come in with uh, with an activation that's just not on point. You'll see the crabs with the laser eyes and the, and yes. the silence brand memes coming out. Right. Um, and this didn't really have any of that. It was just a really cool thing where you had Washington, which, let's be frank, hasn't always really painted gamers in the best light. You know, I think that a lot of folks in Washington are very quick to really blame uh, gaming and, and gaming culture for any time, uh, you know, really bad things happen within society. Right. Um, and so it was really cool to see a politician kind of take the opposite approach, where instead they're saying, well, how do we use gaming as a conduit to, to you know, meet people, have really personal interactions with them, and beyond that, make it so that we're able to have a, a good message that doesn't feel so forced either. So, yeah, I think, long, but that's what I think about all that. No, a long answer <laughs> to what was a very short question, but there was so much goodness in there, Justin. And one of the <laughs> things I will follow up on is um, Washington's outline of gamers, because to be frank, um, I think I think the differentiations that maybe we can build real quickly is that there's a Washington, D.C., the town as a destination, and then there's Washington, D.C., the politics. And what's yep. very interesting is that um, and you're based in Dallas. Is that right, Texas? Yep. Yeah. So what will we see now is that there, there's a new stadium in Washington, D.C., an event space that was built two years ago as a shared venue to um, conjoin with the Washington Mystics. Again, WNBA team with the esport team and kind of in, in gathering the attention of that really important demographic of Gen Z who has right. a very low capacity for what we call <laughs> yes and so what's been interesting as a dc event organizer is that we're seeing a huge shift you know we have overwatch we have on um, the washington justice in dc and seeing the overwatch league come to dc introduce itself into the event and gaming space while really connecting with the demographic of washington dc that that aren't in politics and i think what what would be interesting to hear um your opinion is that as these event venues are being built at an alarming rate these almost to the point where some of us might say that these arenas are getting built way too much at <laughs> too fast and these arenas are never going to be filled however that's a conversation for another time maybe we can have you back and talk about that <laughs> i think um having what is your opinion as far as um these arenas that are now standing empty for esport events right. you know, for for 2021 like where do you see the esport events of 2021 positioning itself in front of that young demographic is are these going to be small live pod events are these going to be hybrid events is this going to be streaming or nothing you know what what is your take on that yeah uh, you know it's it's hard to say um i i feel like if i if i put out an opinion right now that it's going to be changing you know tomorrow right i apologize um, that's not a loaded question no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> but, uh, so i'm gonna preface i'm gonna preface okay. before somebody comes out and says hey you idiot <laughs> we were able to figure out everything literally the next day <laughs> right right Bad podcast like, guest rebecca <laughs> never bring him on again um no, no but, but but you bring up a really interesting question for sure um I think that 
it's a, a very tough time for the event space as a whole right now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the estimates are, are, are that are conservative are, are, are kind of saying that maybe we can get back to, to uh, things by 2022. There's a little bit more optimistic ones that are saying Q3 2021 is right. probably when we're looking to come back with events and whatnot. Um, right. Make no mistake, the event space forever is changed as an impact of this. Mm-hmm. I think that things like temperature screenings and stuff like that are going to be fairly commonplace now uh, at events from a long-term perspective. Um, the uh, the All In podcast, which is a great listen to, um, yes. they they were they were chatting about this. Funny enough, right? Um, but even though uh, America hasn't had um, an attack at the scale of say 9/11 since 9/11, um, the screening process that the TSA does has not changed, right? It's been that detail intensive, uh, despite the fact that, you know, things happened. Um, and in that same sense, uh, when we look at how events as a whole are impacted by this, you know, even if we get past this virus, I think the events long-term are still going to be having a lot of precautions and protocols. Now, I don't think that that means that they're going to require all attendees to wear a mask and social distance. That doesn't really make sense, I think, if you look at things like a big rave or anything like that, right? Um, But I do see things like temperature checks in that sense being standardized. Now, looping back a bit to the esports space specifically, um, I I feel like there's been a really um, good case of a lot of esports events doing fairly well during these times, um, especially if you contrast that with traditional sports, which really has not had the best viewership overall with this year uh, due to a variety of factors. Um, there's, you know, uh, of course, a large argument we can be made about how those demographics are starting to shift to online viewership primarily, and that's maybe why we're seeing some of the lower Nielsen ratings, perhaps. Um, but that's another conversation for another time. In regards to esports specifically in 2021, um, I think that for the first half, for sure, uh, we're still going to be seeing a lot of these online events that are very regionally oriented, right? Right. Um, Yep. Absolutely. Makes a ton of sense, especially when you consider, uh, you know, concepts like, you know, where servers are located and ping and things like that. The, The closest thing we can get to that LAN experience, which is just absolutely pure head-to-head would be uh, regionally-based tournaments, right? That maybe feed into something larger. Um, Right. But what this specific pandemic has really shown is that in addition to the, you know, high-level top 0.001% of competition sort of model that's really been followed a lot with gaming and esports, what's what's also, you know, I think in, in some cases even more... Uh, successful from at least a viewership perspective um, is whenever you're able to do things with personalities as well as players and bring them all together uh, yes. in a a casual competitive sort of sort of situation, right? Yes. Um, yes. I think that those kinds of events um, aren't really focused on nearly enough, especially when we're talking about a lot of the industry conversations, because again, we we as a result of kind of the players that are now jumping into the esports space have been programmed completely to see a hundred percent on the value that esports has, if it can become the NFL. 
and we're not <laughs> quite seeing the value that gaming innately has when it comes to being able to pull together people of all these different uh, uh, areas together for very right. unique collaborative efforts. And that's where I think that I really see gaming going as a whole. Um, I think that uh, the uh, bubble tournaments and things like that maybe will be popping up more frequently, perhaps in Q2 of 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. But overall, I I feel like um, from a pure, like, uh, if we have to look at how the industry is going to be throughout next year, I'm seeing a lot more of the personality-oriented events that are all online, the regionally-based events that are region-locked, uh, as well as maybe towards the, the latter half, uh, some pod-oriented or bubble-oriented uh, smaller leagues. It's kind of how I see things working out. So I think I think what's interesting is that you hit on the point of um, a city franchise in front of a home-based crowds, these regional events that really were, um, I think, in my opinion, in 2019, 2020, introducing the home-based crowd to much larger demographics than maybe people have been giving them credit for. Mm -hmm. Only just because when these parents be dropping their kids off to eSport tournaments, the parents then became aware of an eSport team that was in their town. And I think what's interesting is that, um, uh, I guess this is a long lead to my qu next question for you, is that, that that older demographic who maybe doesn't have a Twitch and is not aware that esports was born online first, you know, in their mind, excuse me, first, in their mind, esports is is a live event. It was always a live event, you know, because they're, they're at home at Netflix watching seven days out and one of the episodes was about an esport event. They're watching High Score on Netflix. They're watching the League of Legends Origin on Netflix. You know, they're watching all these <laughs> docu series that's presenting or and explained was another docu series on Netflix where one of the episodes is dedicated just to esports. And they did and they would do like a quick of how gaming was born online and you know gaming gaming alone yet together and that concept. But now esports has run forward as like well this it's it's it's, it's esport events. It's filled with everyone in the same jersey cheering before a home based crowd. And now what I'm hearing you say is that in 2021, those regional models might follow. But I think what would be interesting is that you, Justin, you know, as a consultant, now as a business development manager, like how do you keep yourself fresh with the industry insight and keep yourself engaged with these changing models while you're consulting others who are maybe new to the industry who have that, we won't say incorrect, but just not fully educated perspective of the esport market yeah. does that yeah. make sense no no no. It, it makes total sense right um and it's something that that again is a very big core value for me is mm -hmm. being able to ethically educate people about this space um, right because I, I guess as a side note um and i'm sure through your studies you you've kind of picked up on this too but there are a lot of, of am i allowed to swear on this or do you not want me to swear yeah you're good there's a lot of artists in this space Let's just put it out there. There's a lot of artists in the gaming and esports space. You'll see it. Right. You, you, you know, uh, somebody who's who's non-endemic will just think the word gaming and esports, and all of a sudden their LinkedIn inbox floods with connection requests from gaming and esports consultants with a, a capital S and a hyphen and all that jazz, right? Oh, like, like it kills it, me. It's, <laughs> yes. it's bad. It's bad. It is bad. Um, yeah. And you know. I can be, you know, I, I, I'm going to pull back on my words a little bit. There's a lot of thoughts that I, I am happy to share maybe uh, 
<laughs> at a different time but but i think overall, we're having I, like four more episodes out of this but continue maybe, maybe <laughs> but, but, but i think overall when we look at the esports space there's there's so much of a hyper fixation in regards to just getting people through the door right they don't really think too much about what the long-term implications are um as that pertains to brands specifically um my view is always hey if uh you know, a Fortune 50 company wants to jump into the esports space for the first time. That's cool. But what really gets me going and gets me excited is when they're there for year five. I don't right. want this one and done sort of idea that um, I think a lot of people who are maybe very quota oriented and within um, sales within esports are so focused on where they're just like, okay. Let's push whatever stats we have, you know, that paint us in as pretty of a picture as possible to get these really top tier brands to buy in. Because at the end of the day, if they don't find ROI, then it's not just like you're losing that one account. In mm -hmm. my mind, it's a ripple effect where the CM, it's not like the CMO of this Fortune 50 company lives in a bubble and they don't talk to anybody. All their friends are CMOs at other companies too that would be very valuable for us as a budding industry to have as advertisers and sponsors that can take things to the next level and make it so that more players are able to participate in this space and have long-term sustainable opportunities. So anytime somebody comes in and pedals BS, they get somebody in the door for just one year, that's total nonsense. I'm always livid about it. And I've tried to make it a point to just be as educated as possible and be as realistic as possible whenever it comes to speaking with people who are approaching the space for the first time. Now, how I'm able to get that info is pretty easy in the past, at least. Mm -hmm. um, going to events helps a ton. Right. You kind of see everybody and you can chat with everybody and figure out, okay, like what's real, what's BS, you know, what's the inside scoop on things. Um, right. Events aren't really a thing at the moment. Um, so in lieu of that, obviously, you know, I have like a uh, built up at this time of really good network of people that are kind of all over the space. And so just being able to have those conversations with them from time to time, just touching base helps so much. Um, mm -hmm. It almost beats that hotel bar experience. But let's be real, nothing's <laughs> going to beat the, beat the, you know, the hotel bar experience whenever yeah. it comes to getting those absolute gems. Um, True. But, True. but it's but down I'll, that gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm more of a. I mean, I'm more of a whiskey guy myself, but you know, to All each right, their own. No problem. It. If you're, if you're going for the gin and tonic, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I might grab a mule. Who knows? You know, it, it just depends on, on, on how things play out. Um, but but yeah, um, I, I, the biggest thing again is is really is just actually talking with people who are actually in the industry. Um, right. is is really what I do at the end of the day. Um, and it's something that you know when events come back, I please do urge. Anyone listening to this, when events come back, like go to esports events, right? Not just yes. esports conferences, but actual events themselves. Yes. Um, and you will learn a ton because the space yes. is big, but it's not as big as people think. And everybody kind of knows everybody. Everybody kind of talks to each other uh, in one way or another. And so it is really easy, I think, to, to, to learn through osmosis simply by being in those rooms with those people and having those honest conversations. Well, I think what what's great is that you hit the nail on the head is that you really do kind of walk your talk. The idea that eSport is the conduit for human connection, yet it's the human connection that keeps us fulfilled and enlightened and fresh for yeah. <laughs> eSport industry. So I think that that's one thing that I really do and looking forward to, especially especially in 2020, because I feel 
you know, I part of my story is that I grew up gaming. It became a choice of master's thesis for me. And I was taking baby steps into the esport industry. And to be frank, you know, I did have to prove my worth. Some people were kind of like, oh, I'm not so sure. Does she have what it takes? Does she have the knowledge that I'm looking for? And some people were gracious enough to be like, let me guide you. Let me show you the way. Let me show. Great. You played <laughs> GoldenEye N64 in your basement as a kid. Awesome. But things have changed. So let me walk you through. <laughs> you know? and, I, and I definitely, you know, get that essence from you as well. So I think, you know, I would love to continue this conversation in other episodes. And I, I was just wondering, you know, where can you direct listeners, you know, to get more involved with you and your work at, at Shot Call or even just you as a consultant or a speaker? Yeah. Um, and, and seriously, thank you so much for, for having me on. I can't believe how fast time has gone. Um, yeah, people can yeah. find me um, everywhere uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. at jvarg1990. Um, if you want to email me directly, um, jv at shotcall.gg. That's the uh, email address. Always happy to, to chat a little bit in regards to what you know, I'm doing this space, what our team's doing uh, at ShotCall. Um, and of course, if you want to learn more about ShotCall itself, you can go to shotcall.gg. Um, again, you know, the team itself is very young, but it has such an impressive drive and vision long term. Uh, and we have a ton of exciting announcements that are literally right around the corner, depending on when this episode gets published. So, uh, yeah, this this will be up and, you know, today is the last week of October. So we're hoping to get this up early November. So we'll Ooh, get this yeah. right out for you guys just in time. Yeah. So when you're uh, if uh, at least if, uh, you know, what I'm reading in our PR slack looks correct, then uh, by the time you're listening to this, there should be some fun articles on some pretty notable sites uh, about kind of what we're we're building on uh, on our end. So definitely take a look at all that for sure, too. Uh. Awesome. I love it when a plan comes together. So <laughs> definitely, Justin, a huge, huge, big old thank you. Um, just walking us through what you have experienced and what you're moving forward ahead. Really great stuff. And thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. It was a treat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Shoutcaster Limited. Before we send you off into the next level of your day, you can find out more about Justin's work at Twitter, LinkedIn, and shoutcall.gg. Continuing with the Netflix eSport trend that we talked about with Justin, I would like to take five minutes and introduce you to another member of the Shellcaster family, my twin sister. Hello. It, <laughs> it was her gaming and love of eSports that encouraged me to start the Shellcaster project. Please enjoy this clip of my twin sister and I reeling after we finished watching High Score, Netflix's gaming docuseries. Signing off now. Good game, y'all. It's the village okay? The village is fine. I've got a new villager. Um, I'll talk to them later. It's okay. Um, the turnips. So, we just finished um six part series of High Score. Yes. On Netflix. Yes. Real quick, 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 quick. Mm. Overture. We'll it was breakneck speed. Breakneck it, it, speed it was, of the entire story of gaming. Was, but man, was there a lot that they put in there. What are your two biggest takeaways that you have from that? Oh, goodness. Um. Well, I feel like I should start with at least saying that I am a very big RPG fan, mm. specifically JRPGs. I love them. So I love that Final Fantasy had a chance in here. Yep. Um, I loved what they had to say. 
about the world of gaming and that it is a chance to be someone new, to try something new that you would never in your real life, that you would never do in life. Um, but along with that, the other takeaway was just the proof that gaming has always been for everyone. There is a stereotype out there that is a you know young, acne-faced um, male um, that enjoys gaming and is little hot-headed, if you will. Um, but that is... <laughs> the herds of nerds. The herds of... Yes. Right. As I believe that was said in there. But that is right. not the case. No. Um, no. First person that they interviewed that was a gamer that won a championship, that won the first championship, was Becky Heinemann. Yes. A transgender woman who was fantastic and had so much to say. And that was your first winner. Your first championship of competitive That was gaming. the first 10 minutes of the first episode. Exactly. Like they, they had the historical antidotes of gaming but mm -hmm. they continued on with modern themes mm -hmm. today yes. you know that gaming has always been an inclusive atmosphere mm -hmm. where you can be who you want to be you know maybe becky made it sound she made it sound like she wasn't able or they weren't able to have their story told in the 70s when mm -hmm. they did win the championship but her now she is able to tell the story right exactly. and that's a powerful thing because yes. that's where gaming has brought people mm -hmm. today so I, th I thought it did just just what you said i thought i did a great job of just really telling the anecdotes, the stories from Atari to Sega to Nintendo, you know, but maintaining the modern themes of, you know, we are who we are. I think it was um, Gordon Bellamy. I, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name. He was a African-American gay man who is mm -hmm. now in executive leadership roles mm -hmm. of eSport gaming. Right. That's incredible. And part of his story as well was making sure that African-Americans were represented in NFL Madden games. Right. I mean, what a, but what a huge jump. But right. the realism there, I right. mean, and the fact that there are great people in sports, that not everyone has to be white right. in all of your, you know, in all your fantasies and all your stories that you're telling. Right. And even in modern day stories, you look at that and, I mean, I think personally Mass Effect and their plethora of love options between men, women, and aliens. Mm. And you can be whoever you want to be. You can be a hero in any game. You can be the villain. Mm. Uh, you can be the law-abiding citizen you can be Chun-Li you can be yes you can be Chun-Li um the quest always continues to find a worthy opponent yes yes which was fantastic for Street Fighter 2 but we're also twins though so we always have a worthy opponent we do in each other we do it just it depends it depends on what it is if it's wit if it's wit and quick quick wit it's definitely you I don't know about that oh you know it is you know it is but I think, yeah, you're able to be um, whoever you want to be. And I think, you know, for people who haven't seen it, I really recommend you do. Mm -hmm. it, it, it covers everything. And I think the the interesting part is that how it ends. It ends with, it, it, it it's gaming, it's video gaming, gaming culture. It dips its toe in the esport realm, I think, in the fifth episode. But it does finish with Doom and how it launched online, laid the foundation mm -hmm. for MMOs as we know it today, mm -hmm. introduced the internet socials community, and, like, that was it. Yep. And you the know. rest is history. Right. And the other thing as well, as you're talking about esports and stuff like that, this is a pleasant reminder that esports didn't just start in this decade and no. in this most recent generation. Right. Esports has been around since, well, com competitive sports. Right. Competitive sports have been around since the start of gaming. Right. With, the, with introducing the high score. Always wanting to do better. Always wanting to do better than yourself or your friends. I mean, you know, you can now stream esports everywhere and on whatever platform you have. You know, back then it was you went to your local mall and 
you watched it on MTV. It was still competitive. It was right. still a competition. Right. And just the fact that it has always been there and it's just evolved how it's how it's um, broadcast, which is a great and cool thing to see. And gaming has always been there. Gaming and storytelling, they've always been a huge, great part of this. 